episode 20 designed company podcast this is a very uh, symbolic episode because those who make it to 20 make it uh, to 2220 i hear uh, this is an alien communication that i've had last night in my dream so uh today we're talking about radical transparency brother mo how are you doing today well, very happy to be here. I mean, you know, episode number 20, we started this out a couple of months ago. So uh, really nice to see the guests we've had, the progress we've made and like the various topics we've covered, um, as well as just the seeing that design company really does apply to any topic. So this has been a really good real world stress test. Yes. And also we haven't had Ray Dalio as yet, but we can discuss radical transparency today and work a little bit on manifestation of Ray Dalio in one of the future podcast episodes. Well, let's, let's call this then Radical Transparency episode one, and we'll have Ray come in for episode two. We'll, we'll call it Radical Transparency without Ray Dalio. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, uh, well, listen, let, let's just dive into the topic, right? So actually to, to take a little bit of an extract from a summary of Ray's book. So if you have to define Radical Transparency, in a nutshell, it's all about realizing that you have nothing to fear from knowing the truth and having integrity and demanding it from others. Uh, what, what are your own thoughts on the topic, on this idea? Uh, the, the thoughts are that uh, I've been studying psychology in my, in my spare time. And one of the biggest issues that most people around the world have is that they hold on to certain beliefs that the nature of belief is that it's grounded not in reality but in a lie and uh, they hold on to those beliefs egotistically and it's very very hard to let go of the belief the ego is afraid to let go of belief because it doesn't know what sits on the other side of the belief which is knowledge or not knowing mm. so ego is afraid of not knowing oh what am i going to do if i don't know i'm lost or if i do know now i'm going to have to capitulate to the knowing as opposed to believing and so that radical transparency the truth the actual real insight into what people are thinking is that process that that would be kind of my uh, self-taught psychological breakdown of of that hmm. so I, I think definitely if you're talking about radical transparency you can't really separate the purpose from the people because ultimately if i have to look at because i apply this myself right in the way that i work in the way that i collaborate with people and ultimately for me the goal of practicing radical transparency is to say hey you know we all have different perspectives and it's not about me having the truth it's about us collectively just, you know, saying what we think and then kind of arriving at the best version of the truth. Because ultimately, you can, I don't think you can ever get like the perfect truth, but you can, you can edge towards that by really just like having people say what they think, killing groupthink, and just having these diverse perspectives that build out into what the truth should be. And so ultimately for me, like, I think people today, they're often scared, as you said, egotistically, of being put into question of being wrong. And so there's a really good quote I loved in Ray's book, Principles, which was, um, it's falling in love with the truth instead of being in love with being right. And I think that's a really important thing. It's just 
collectively setting your ego aside, not criticizing people, and having just this shared appreciation for finding out what is the best thing to do. I think so. So there's a bunch of things that I'd like to actually uh, kind of comment on there. One of the things that you said is killing the group think. Um, the, 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 the notion of group think, I think, <laughs> is that when you have, let's say, a group of 20 people, mm-hmm. the way group think works, and it, it's a sort of unfortunate label it implies that 20 people are thinking the same, but it's not how the group think works. Group think is an anti-pattern because there is three or four people thinking the same, usually for some sort of contrived reason, they are sort of in on it together, like a little gang inside the team. And they sort of make the rest of the people, they kind of sell the rest of the people into what they are thinking. And usually what they're believing is right. And usually for some sort of selfish reason. So an example being in real corporate environment, and I've seen this millions of times before, a person who wants to get promoted to managerial position, they have a personal drive to get to managerial position because they're going to be in a higher salary role and they start selling the idea that they will make a good manager in that team of 20 and they have their little sort of cliquish three or four people who are their kind of fans. They, they don't sort of have to sell it to those three, four people and then they lobby the rest of the 20 and they create this group think where everyone in the 20 group end up subscribing to the idea that Joe should be the manager, even though, even though Joe is not the best person to be the manager. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a really good thing that you said, the way that you define group thing, because yes, it's, you know, not a, it's not about everyone thinking the same. It's about one version of the truth becoming the shared truth. I think that's a really important subtlety that you made there. And, and so, so, so there's a kind of a closing remark here, which is that groupthink in a purist sense is actually a great thing, okay. but informed with real world insights, because we should all think what is the best for company mm-hmm. as a group, as a team. In fact, we should be completely gelled around that. Without that, we're kind of losing some of the human uh, potential yeah. in that. The problem is that when the group think arises from this kind of anti-pattern that I just described, and people end up voting for an idea that they never, they always kind of knew deep down that wasn't going to work, but they were made to believe it. That's, I think this is the origin, origin of the phrase made-believe. <laughs> So actually, that, that's, so if, if we go on that hypothesis and we say, okay, you know what? Groupthink can actually be positive because what, what I'm seeing here as well, right? As someone who's building a company is it's very important. So there's kind of the divergent phase, right? Get as many visions of the truth as possible. And then there's a convergence phase, phase which is converge to a form of truth and then have people buy into that. Because ultimately as a company, you mentioned a good problem. If people are thinking a bunch of different things, they're not really buying into the truth that we have. We have sabotage, we have people not supporting initiatives. So we do need a shared truth. So I think here, the systematic aspect is, how do we 
you know, what are different approaches we can take to create a shared truth that is based on insights, diverse thoughts, etc. And so I'm just kind of throwing one out there that's quite anecdotal, but it kind of struck me as an interesting thing. Usually, you will see like in a meeting, you know, you'll have like the senior staff, you might have interns, you might have juniors. Usually, you would see the kind of senior staff are the ones who are allowed to express their view, right? And the juniors are kind of taking notes, you know, and if somebody asks them their opinion, they're like, well, I think that was a very good idea. You just had to, you know, so <laughs> that's the extent. There's one form of management which I found really interesting, which is in the Navy SEALs. So in the Navy SEALs, what happens is that when they're going into preparing operation, they'll prepare the operational plan, but they will ask the whole team for their opinion. But this is the key thing. They will ask the team for the whole opinion, starting from the most junior team member up to the most senior team member. Now, what does that create? Well, the first thing is that because you're new, you don't, you're not yet kind of in all the habits. So you might have a completely different perspective that more experienced people didn't have. So that's, first of all, a really good thing. Secondly, let's say that you have a really good idea. Well, the senior most person is going to decide that's a good idea, but the point is you had that good idea first, so you're going to be super engaged in actually making that idea a reality. And the third thing that's really good here is, you know, people sometimes criticize experience. Experience is actually really good. So it means that we can progressively build on top of each people's insights and as you go up the chain, as you have more experience, you can refine and you know, eliminate things that you know won't work based on experience and make it a learning opportunity. But really, you can kind of arrive at a version of the truth and a decision that is based on the most inputs and that also allows for fresh new ideas to come in. And that also ensures buy-in from the people participating in this plan. Um, obviously, for this to work, you do need this kind of, okay, one person is going to make the final decision and others have to opt in. But the whole point is, even though a decision was made, you had a way to have ideas emerge and for people to confront their perspectives. That is one systematic approach. There's many other things to combine, obviously. So what, what's interesting there is that the, the, the order in which they uh, get people to comment or, or, or chip in their thinking, uh, what I find is that in most corporate environments, usually... This is a big issue in corporates. You, you are brought into an environment that's been already pre-framed. So an example being, I'm working at BT and they have said, we are making a new 5G router. And that's already been made as a decision. And now you're working on that, even though you might go off and find all sorts of research that says, this is the time is wrong. Um, maybe it's not even a router thing that needs to be built. It's some sort of distributed connectivity thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and so on. But, but they'll say we're working on the router and now you're having to ideate inside that uh, environment. So any ideas that are brought up that says, maybe this shouldn't be a router. Maybe this project should be uh cancelled altogether and we should split up the funding which may be massively massively huge split up this funding and actually fix this 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 and this inside the company and like really see massive uh, rewards off the back of that that will be shut down because the 5g router thing has already been pre-decided so you cannot break out of that mold and so one other thing to just point out in terms of the truth the truth uh, in integral theory, there is the notion that universe is made out of perspectives. 
So you might have that when, when the people from the money perspective, they give their perspective, that's called true. Product perspective is true. Innovation perspective is true. Systems perspective is true. People perspective, they're all true, but truth is all of this together. Okay. Actually, let me build on top of that idea. So I remember like when I was in high school and I started taking economics, one of the very first things they taught us was the difference between theory and ideology. So ideology is an all-encompassing vision of the world and theories just attempt to explain one part of the world. And so the way that we explain the world is and understand the world is by having different theories that are applicable to different parts of the world. And so as you said, so it's a different science with the same approach. It's this idea that there is kind of a final ultimate truth, but the truth isn't one truth. The truth is an amalgamation of perspectives that we consider true, which allow us to have an enriched vision of what's going on. Yeah, and this is the idea of holism or a holistic view on things. So this is why it's actually important to run a more, as you said earlier on, divergent thinking across even like, so for example, if we said like, oh, we need new product for the company. Well, fine. Let's take the product as the kind of core tenant of the design company model. And we say like, well, what's the purpose of this product? Who are the people who are going to buy it? Who is going to make, make this product work? How does the system work for it? What's the innovation about it? What's innovative? And so on. So you can run the whole company model on just that one aspect, but you're actually diversifying the view on it as opposed to just thinking about the product, product, product as a, as a thing, as an object. And what most companies make of massive, this is, this is the reason why, why UK government spent 10 billion pounds on a product that never was going to serve any people, the tracking uh, application. It wasn't going to work as a system because people were never going to accept this. The purpose of it was completely wrong, but they just went and jumped into the product and, and trying to build something that, that was flawed, even from ideological, any perspective. And this is actually a core root of a lot of money waste, a lot of money waste. And this is why we see in major big consultancies and, and big firms they spend 400 million, quote unquote, building a website that never sees the light of the day. How does it happen? Well, because they, they don't have a holistic view on it at any point in time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, so when <laughs> we you have to of, always wrap that in, like, chick, chick, yeah, chick, 400 yeah. million for a website that never went live. Chick, chick, <laughs> slim shady. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that is it, right? I mean, if we look at the cost, how many things have you and I seen in our lifetimes where people are like obviously going on the path of doom, but basically because nobody is like wanting to keep it real as, uh, you know, Sifu Ali G would say, you just basically end up in a path that's not working. So let's talk about the innovation then, radical transparency. You know, what are kind of some ideas? What are some things we can implement to actually operationally and pragmatically benefit from this outside of Anya, of course. There's nothing outside of Anya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's, I, I think a lot of, in, in, in some sense, the entire management science, it's wrongly sort of labeled as science, but I'll use the formal terms, 
management science makes it makes it sound like it's a scientific process whereas a lot of the time it's like looking at things that kind of work and trying to derive a pattern out of it uh which is sort of anti-patterny in itself uh but the whole management science is kind of trying to say well if everyone in the in the company communicates you know that's really good you want to form teams that really respect each other and work together and so on um and and you want to do it in a structured way follow a bunch of processes be careful with money and so on that's kind of like management science in a sort of layman's terms it, it, the problem is most people don't think systemically most people kind of don't really work well with other people no matter how much team working they've studied sometimes you find this all this like team working experts are actually kind of narcissistic psychopathic dictator types okay it's like well anyone who doesn't like working under that kind of a boss is out of that company and then they say well well this is our company's culture and then eventually that company realizes they can't employ anyone of any value because nobody wants to work there and then so people are bad at that they're not really purpose oriented they don't know how to follow a system certainly not how to set one up they don't know how to design products they're very bad with money they miscalculate things and then growth is subject to some sort of magic thinking so most management science does not actually give you a structured model that then actually says well let's let's actually understand that humans are messy messy animals and and telling them you just communicate nicely and work as a team is like talking to flying ants and asking them to code they're not going to do that they have they went made to do that so the system here works as a what's the word even to use but it's like a a shaping tool a mental a mental prison maybe uh shaping tool let's call it that actually enables people to do that it gives enough structure for people to follow through and really not get lost but it's free enough for people to be free to express their opinions and not sort of forget certain um perspectives that are really important inside the company so so it gets that balance between managing complexity and actually giving people freedom of expression so expressive simplicity let's say so one thing as well there um i think at the end of the day you can have all the team building everything you want but it comes down to values and even more than that it comes down from leadership so if you have a company where the ceo is incapable of taking honest transparent feedback on what's going on you can hire all the consultants in the world it's never going to change and like as much as i am a proponent of like grassroots bottom up holocratic organizations some things they just have to come from the top and this is one of them right so it starts with the ceo being able to say i was wrong or hey that's a good idea or hey your idea is better than my idea and you mentioned like you know systems etc um in my own personal experience you know building anya what i found is that the way for me to implement this is to positively reinforce each time that somebody tells me something in disagreement or each time somebody helps me arrive at a better decision because they helped me have a new angle that i didn't have and so what i've really realized is that 
I can't really kind of build like a full, at least not now, maybe one day, but it's not about for me building like a system and a process and saying we do radical transparency. Instead, it comes down to me like at each interaction, observing when someone disagrees with me in a constructive way and telling them, thank you for disagreeing with me. This is what I learned through the fact that you disagreed with me, you know? So even though I might not like go their entire way in terms of a decision, making it a point to positively point out when people disagree or add new perspectives, because that is ultimately what builds a healthy company and one that's innovative and that can actually listen to the people that's working with it. Yeah. And so this is actually goes back to psychology because if management is about managing people's psychology, which is one of the kind of ways to look at it and, and perspectives, then the manager has to be a good psychologist and that's akin to a therapy session. And um, what role of a good therapist is, is, is not to make you necessarily feel good. It's about to tell you the truth, right? Tell you how things are, inform you about reality. And that process, although shattering and a bit painful to the ego, it's only really painful to the ego what arises from that is greater level of integrity, greater alignment with other people, and actually greater performance because you're no longer subject to this magical thinking of awaken the giant within because you're not the giant. And, um, and you know, you're just actually working with reality. And this is also, also why companies like Tesla, SpaceX, etc., are seeing massive, massive growth in real terms why? Because it's plugged into reality all the way from physics, first principles and upwards, as opposed to saying, oh, if we just all believe together that, you know, it's all going to be fine, it, it will be fine. It's like, it won't be fine. <laughs> so that's actually a good way that you've put it. You've transitioned nicely from innovation to products, right? And products in design company sense is not just products and services that you sell. It's also the experience of working within a company, right? The actual existential aspects so what does that radical transparency produce inside a company well first of all you've got better ideas secondly you're killing the ideas that would have gone way too far with way too much budget thirdly you're probably retaining talented people a lot more because instead of them having like to bow down to like the group think in the negative sense they're actually empowered to participate in the collective definition of the truth um, and generally speaking, I would just say you're making more money and growing more because, you know, you're keeping it real. You're understanding where the issues are. And ultimately, you're able to work on those problems. Yeah. And um, so many product backlogs are littered with wishful thinking stories. You know, sometimes they get like, make it all the way up to fully spec'd out epics and everything. And then it's some sort of like UX designer gets hold of it and, and they're like, what has this guy or girl been smoking, you know, to write this up? Because it's not implementable under any technology. It's hugely expensive. The frequency of usage is, is very low. It doesn't pass the sort of Google toothbrush test even closely, you know, uh, and, and, and it's like, and then a developer usually, or hopefully UX designer, if they're any good, will kind of start flagging this up and go, actually, I sort of can't, as a designer, I can't stand behind this, 
this feature at all because it's just impossible. Like there, often the time UX designers get actually asked to, to design something that is physically impossible. Uh, and if they say back to a sort of product owner and say, it's, it's nothing to do with my years of experience or, or whatever. It's just, I'm plugged into reality more actively than you are. And, and that often the time you have like, as a UX designer, you have a massive clash with the product owner because the product owner believes in something. And then UX designer tells him the truth. And it's like, ah, and it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry to be telling you the truth, but it's how it is. <laughs> so, so talking about the truth, right? You know, one of the things I love about money is that it's a very good proxy to the truth, right? So basically, you know, something that is built on falsehood, you can inject a bunch of cash, but at some point it's going to crash. And so there's a couple of really good examples of this. I think one of the best ones is Theranos, right? I think they raised like more than a billion or was, was it 1 billion, 4 billion? It was at least a bill. Anyway, huge amounts of money. And so within Theranos, you had researchers saying, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. CEO, but basically it's pretty impossible to do 100 tests on one drop of blood. And you're asking us for something that isn't impossible. And then she was like, well, no, it is possible. Make it happen. Otherwise, you're fired, right? This was after a billion. I was reading the other day. It turned out that when she was at university, because she didn't stay at university, I think more than a year, in her first couple of weeks, she went to see a biology teacher, you know, someone very experienced teaching at a university. And she told him about this idea of, oh, you know, what if I can uh, diagnose illness with one drop of blood? And he was like, sorry, that's impossible. So literally, like if, I mean, obviously some people say it's impossible and sometimes you've got to put that in question and it's not impossible, but that just requires actual questioning instead of magic thinking, right? But in this particular case, with some good honesty and radical transparency and respect to those principles, it could have just ended at that meeting in the professor's office instead of a couple of years in SEC investigation and $1 billion later. So actually, this is an important thing to say here. I'm seeing quite a number of uh, startup founders who are reading things like Sri Aurobindo's book. Why? Because Steve Jobs read Sri Aurobindo and Steve Jobs was a Buddhist monk in some sense. Um, and then so they think if they read Sri Aurobindo, they'll be able to run something like Apple. The issue that they're not really sort of considering is that actually the person who built Apple in true sense is Steve Wozniak. And Steve Wozniak was constantly bringing the truth to Steve Jobs. You can't build that. That's impossible. Hey, I can build that thing. Like most of these um, you know, screens are four colors. I can build 16 color screen, right? And Steve Jobs was like, what? You can build 16 color screen? I can sell that in millions, right? Great. So Steve Jobs actually had the truth teller behind him. And then maybe Steve Jobs was doing the magical sales tricks on the front, but it was grounded in truth. And that's why Apple worked. Um, but a lot of these people that are founding these companies like Theranos and so on, they're straight up scammers and, and manipulators, but they they'd sort of think that Steve Jobs made it big because he was a Buddhist monk. No, he had a very great engineer behind him who told, me, told him what was, right, what was right and wrong in true sense. 
And so that's, that's another one, right? And people talk about magical thinking. I think if you look at the startup community, there is a lot, a lot, a lot of like backstroking and like, oh, you're so awesome, etc. I mean, the ultimate truth is, will someone pay for your products, right? And so this ties in nicely with growth, which is that, especially in the VC-funded startup world, we see so many startups that are like growing, 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 but all of that is based on private market valuations that are completely artificial. And it's a reality that doesn't need a whole market to be created. It's a reality that needs two or three dudes or ladies sitting in a room saying, okay, we'll invest at these terms. And so one of my favorite examples is Juicero. Um, so for those who haven't heard of Juicero, very funny Silicon Valley story. They spend like $120 million in total, I think, over time. And they built this um, juicer, which, had, which was like connected to Wi-Fi. It had four tons of pressure, all this kind of stuff, right? You'd think that's cool. You know, you can make your own homemade juice, but the products relied on you having these juice packs that were sold by Juicero that would actually then become the juice, right? And so some journalists one day, they took the juice pack and they were like, oh, wait, I can actually just use my hands to squish this into the glass, <laughs> right? And so <laughs> Juicero didn't last very longer after that. Now, I'm sure at some point, some guy in the company was like, hey, we have this thing with four tons of pressure. Why don't we sell it and like, you know, just allow you to put your own fruits in it so you actually have like a juicer that's making fresh juice, you know, fair enough. And somebody else must have been like, no, 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 you know, like we sold the vision of like recurring income from the juice packs. So that's what's happening. Right. And so this is what yeah, I love yeah. about honesty. I think Juicero is an example of a business model which is again, a wrong terminology. Business models usually used as a phrase to describe how do you make money, okay? So it's money leading all the other thinking. It's like over-focus on money, which actually created a situation where there was overspend of money for a product that was basically just like a con. Uh, because if you made a, a fruit squeezing thing, that made the juice, you'd be making the juice maker. You know, you go on Amazon right now, there's like 3,000 juice makers uh, that you can pick from and they all cost 20 pounds, uh, one-off purchase. They tried to turn that into a subscription model and they spent 120 million failing at that. A great example of exactly what I'm thinking about and talking about where there's kind of like the hoo-ha built up um, an actual no real value <laughs> in true sense. <laughs> You're on mute. <laughs> Happened to me twice today. <laughs> yeah, so I think ultimately that, that, that's what it's all about with this radical transparency and honesty, right? So on the company level, the growth aspect is very simple, is you're growing faster because you're actually focusing on stuff that generates sustainable growth. And ultimately, that's what design company growth is about. It's growth built on actual foundation that is self-sustaining, that is continual, and that isn't built on artificial stuff that crashes. But I think also it's a lot of personal growth. And even this is like something I've lived through myself, which is when you're creating an environment where people aren't really so much egotistically attached you know, to their ideas, well, they start growing much faster because they're learning new things. They're more open to others. They're more like receptive to feedback, right? And so if you want to talk about all these actually things like diversity, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's what it comes down to is just like telling to people how it is and people taking things on board and then growing from that. 
as something that comes up uh, as you were saying that I'm a number of uh, uh, I'm a member of a number of Facebook groups that are highly intelligent individual groups like people with IQ of 160 whatever what so that they think that and all of them keep posting how the rest of the world is really dumb and they mm -hmm. can't get on with them. So I posted up, like, how come all these highly intelligent individuals don't know how to work out how to deal with other people <laughs> effectively? <laughs> and so it seems as though there is a kind of an ego reflex there. And this can also be described through psychology and it's certainly integral theory that the cognitive development is just one line of development in human thinking, uh, which can go way ahead of all the other capacities and cognitive faculties. So our social intelligence may be very low, whereas our cognitive capability may be very high. And basically that kind of ends up canceling each other because nobody cares about how smart you are unless you can deliver your idea to other people uh, really well and vice versa is possible also you might have very high social manipulation skills but your cognitive intelligence is very low and you get Theranos where it's able to sell a story and magical fairy tale to a whole bunch of prominent people who don't really sort of check it double check it but actually in practical sense it's never going to see the light of the day and actually, I think that's a great way to kind of like come to a close, bouncing on your comment of the IQ, right? I mean, let's say you're very intelligent. Let's say you're, you know, five or 10 times more intelligent than the average human. Well, there's a problem because there's 7 billion humans on planet Earth. So by default, you will always be more intelligent by knowing how to collaborate with other individuals who have different perspectives than your own, uh, own personal ability. I think that's what it comes down to is ultimately saying, you know, people have different qualities. And even if one person is the most intelligent in their room, there is still a room around them. And that room together will always be more intelligent as long as they can communicate with each other than just that one person in their own room on their own. Totally. And that's the reason why radical transparency works, because everyone is a sort of expert in their own little field. Uh, even, for example, if they work across these seven areas of design company, there'll be a systems expert, people expert, and so on. And as you get expert view on each idea and you get the top quality thinking from each area, you can get the truth on that idea and that idea will have much more uh, chance of succeeding. That's that. <laughs> Beaut beautiful summary. So we're looking forward to having uh, Ray then on the part two of this episode in future. Yes. So Ray, we know you're listening. Uh, so please reach out to us and let's book you in and talk more about this. <laughs> See you next time. Take care. Take care. Bye bye.